You're listening to the Casual Mancatter on Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. Three playing squads from two different countries for several different forms of the game for three different series were announced last week. And while all contained their surprises, the men's squads went in a similar direction. Back to the future, consolidating experience against those that in recent times have been asked to cover for their absence. Australia's squad for the T20 World Cup is looking to acquire the one major international crown that they have been unable to win. While England are searching for a way to halt their batting woes in their test series against India. As well as this, Australia's squad for the women's series against India had some big names missing and some exciting names added into the mix. Today we will discuss the selection issues facing both countries and how that will affect each of their separate series that they are approaching. All of that lies ahead on this episode of The Casual Mancatter. G'day there and thanks for tuning in. As always, it's nice to have people coming in and listening to me ramble on about cricket. So let's have a look at the Australia T20 World Cup squad first. That was announced last week. And if we look at that team, and we'll go through it, Aaron Finch as captain, Pat Cummins is vice-captain, then we have David Warner, Steve Smith, Glenn Maxwell, Mitchell Marsh, Marcus Stoinis, Matthew Wade, Josh Inglis, Adam Zampa, Ashton Agar, Mitch Swepson, Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark, and Kane Richardson. And there are three travelling reserves in Dan Christian, Nathan Ellis, and Daniel Sams. So first, let's look at the obvious people who are not in this squad. Marnus Labashain is not in this squad. Now, he was not picked to go on the tour of the West Indies and Bangladesh, even though he said quite unequivocally that he wanted to play for Australia in all three forms of the game. He was left in England, and they said it was too hard to get him out of there and then in quarantine and then to the several tours and then back, obviously, to England, I would suggest. But they now haven't picked him for this squad either. Now, that's not surprising, I guess, given the way that the selector because it doesn't seem to be many of them anymore, have gone with Marnus Labashain. They seem to think that the players they've picked to play in that top order are going to be the ones they've picked, who are generally all-rounders, and at the moment they're not considering Marnus for his all-round abilities. And yet he is one of our top batsmen, and he's proven that over the last two years. And they can't fit him into an Australian squad. Now that may be a mistake. It may not be, but that's one we can probably look at later on. Alex Carey, who captained the one-day team in the West Indies when Aaron Finch was forced to go home, 
and had played in several of the T20s, but hasn't been a part of the main T20 squad for some time. Uh, uh, Matthew Wade has been the keeper in that team for some time. He wasn't chosen to go, uh, even though he's been elevated as a leadership position in the one-day team. So again, I think you've got to look at the problem being, do they want him to play this cricket or are they looking for him to play in the other forms of the game? And the other major surprise, I guess, was the fact that Jai Richardson was not chosen to go into this squad. Now, he was the only player out of all of those who had stayed at home and did not tour the West Indies and Bangladesh after they had come back from the Indian Premier League. He was the only player who has not made this squad. Um, if you look at it, and it's it's very difficult, I think, but we've got Pat Cummins, David Warner, Steve Smith, Glenn Maxwell, Marcus Stoinis, and Kane Richardson in that squad. Now, all of those players chose not to be chosen to go to the West Indies and Bangladesh. They chose to stay at home, to either rest, uh, to... They've got an injury. Steve Smith had an injury with his elbow again, and they didn't want to go into bubble life again. Now, when that tour started... There was some words that came out from both Aaron Finch and Justin Langer and Trevor Holmes at the time saying, well, those guys are not guaranteed their spots in the World T20 squad because they chose not to tour and play for Australia. And yet, now they're being actively encouraged to go back to the IPL to warm up for this. So what sort of a message does that send to the players who have been left out of the squad, and those who are coming up through the ranks in the BBL and such, that it's okay to miss Australian tours if you want to earn more money in the IPL. And you can add to that Daniel Sams, who of course is going as a reserve player, but also stayed at home, but he had cited mental issues rather than not wanting to go into the bubble again. All of the players who agreed to tour the West Indies and Bangladesh have basically basically been effectively dismissed. Um, And I think they are somewhat unfortunate and they are caught in the middle of this. Now, they played on very low, slow wickets on both those tours and none of the batsmen were able to get going at all. Uh, Josh Phillippe, Ben McDermott, Moses Onriks, Alex Carey and Ashton Turner, they all struggled to get on top of the bowling and get not only just score runs, but to score runs at an effective rate to put themselves in a winning position. It was only Mitch Marsh who was actually able to tame those conditions. Now, he has been rewarded by being picked in the squad, but he had the advantage of batting at three for the entire two series. So he knew where he was batting. Every other player sort of chose or were picked at different places in the order and were given different assignments, I guess you could say. So uh, without trying to say that Mitch Marsh got preferential treatment, he at least he certainly scored enough runs and enough 50s to prove that he had done the job. Now, will he bat at number three in this World T20 squad? You would think on form he should, but looking at the batting uh, lineup that Australia have picked, it seems unlikely he'll get that chance. 
There's also something to discuss in that although all these players I just mentioned were unable to get away and get runs in those two series, there was no guarantee that any of the batsmen who have been brought back into the squad now would have done any better in those conditions. And what if they had toured? And what if they hadn't succeeded? Do you think they too would have been left out of this World T20 squad for perhaps bringing in someone like uh, Philippi or McDermott or Onrix? It seems extraordinarily unlikely that if Warner or Maxwell had had, or Stoinis had had similar series with the bat, if they had toured, that they would have been left out of this squad. So there was a, you know, a no-win situation for those guys going across there. They all had to score enormous amounts of runs to push their chances of being picked in this squad, a squad that you would expect, for the most part, was chosen well before they went on these two tours. Mitchell Johnson now. The two tours that have just happened, Australia sent four wicketkeeper batsmen to the West Indies and to Bangladesh on those low, slow wickets that obviously made scoring difficult. And as we've just mentioned, no one was able to score enough runs to nail down their position. Meanwhile, Josh Inglis has been in England feasting on rubbish second 11 attacks on fast, bouncy wickets, which he will not see in the T20 World Cup. And then the selectors decide we'll just parachute him in in front of all those guys and pick him as the likely backup wicketkeeper. And is that fair? Is that a fair assessment of where Australia is at? Now, look, when it comes to Alex Carey, I don't mind the fact that he's not in this T20 squad. I'm happy for him to remain in the ODI team as the wicketkeeper and as the probable new test keeper but it's really a bit rough and let's face it if you use the same exact logic Marnus Labuschagne who has not been chosen despite saying forthrightly that he wants to play for Australia and has scored runs in England but has not been chosen in this squad so there's a problem in that Josh Inglis plays for Western Australia plays for the Scorchers, and it's going to be seen like it's a hometown selection by Justin Langer to get him into that team. Now, it, there you can have enough points of view to say that he deserves his selection. But again, if you look at the two different wickets that these two, the, all these players have been playing on and the kind of bowling and kind of wickets they're expecting to play in the UAE in this T20 World Cup, then it just seems like it's a really unfair selection on those other guys who went over there and who didn't get a chance to keep, or they were just picked as batsmen like McDermott and Philippi. And Carey, most of the time, didn't get a chance to keep because Matthew Wade was the chosen keeper. And now he's gone in front of them. Now, in Labashane's defence, or in his case, sorry, if the selectors are basically just leaving him out of this squad because they're only going to pick him in the test matches and they want him to stay at home, they want him to play red ball cricket before the Ashes starts, then I hope that's been communicated to him. Because other than that, the double standard selection policy just doesn't add up when you look at 
everything that's occurred. On paper, barring one or two who you could argue for or against, this is Australia's strongest looking team in the white ball format. You have to look at the way the team lines up and if you have Finch and Warner, Smith and Maxwell, Marsh, Stoinis, Wade, and then you have your spinners in Zampa and Agar, you have your fast bowlers in Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, and you've got Swepson there as well and Richardson as backup. You'd have to say that this is Australia's strongest looking squad in regards to uh, the batsmen available and the bowlers available and perhaps the all-round ability of those guys in the middle. It's a slight weakness because we don't have any out-and-out all-rounders like the other teams do, but the guys who are there can do a job. Look, <laughs> but if we don't make if we don't make at least the semi-final stage of this tournament with that squad, then you have to suggest that changes have to be looked at. And I guess I'm not suggesting that necessarily is at a board or selector or a coach or a player level, but perhaps just how seriously Australia should be taking this form of the game at international level. Do we just come back to the point that we look at this at a less serious level and we pick our players to entertain and then perhaps we can compete better with these other countries? But let's discuss that in November because going into it now, it might be for no reason. We might get up and win. Man out at long on, but he needs to be 25 seats back. England are down 1-0 in their five-test series against India, having lost the second test last week in... uh, what they would think is probably a disappointing fashion. Certainly that final day was no good at all for the Englishman. But then, you know what? The way India carry on, well, the way their captain carries on, sometimes you almost feel sorry for England, and that's you can hear me saying that through gritted teeth, I hope. But let's look at the team that England have now picked for the third test. So they've picked Root as captain, and we have Rory Burns, Hasib Hamid, David Milan, Johnny Bairstow, Ollie Pope, Joss Butler, Moen Ali, Ollie Robinson, James Anderson, Sam Curran, Dan Lawrence, Saqib Mahmood, and Craig Overton. Now, Mark Wood was picked in that squad, but just an hour before putting this program to air, he has been pulled out of the squad with his bung shoulder from that second test. So Dom Sibley and Zach Crawley have finally been dropped after several thousand failures uh, to get any sort of uh, major totals on the board. And once again, Moeen Alley is the only spin option. So Dom Bess and Jack Leach are once again on the outer game, back to their county teams to play. And England are investing once again in <laughs> in Moeen Alley. So looking at this squad now, you've got... We've had Bearstow and Butler who were brought back in for this test series after they missed the New Zealand series uh, coming back from the IPL. And now David Milan has been brought in as well. Now, Milan is a good choice, and I'm glad to see him. Uh, He's solid. He's got a good head on his shoulders. And even though his figures don't make great reading, 
He's coming back now, having had time to digest his first crack at Test cricket. And that could really be a benefit for him because he's now been in the England squad in the white ball cricket and is, I think, ranked still number one in the world, perhaps, in T20 batsmen. So not that you're looking for his white ball form to be the reason you get picked into the England squad. Now, you have to look at the fact that on the last Australian tour, he made a fantastic 100 in Perth, and he looked probably the best of the English batsmen on that tour. He's played one county game this season and scored 199. So no matter what, coming into this team, he won't be overawed with the situation. He's played enough international cricket now that knowing that this is his second chance, he will be, I would think, confident about succeeding at this level. That means that for England's batsmen, they'll lose Sibley and they'll lose Crawley. Now, they will probably have to open with Hamid, who scores runs less fast than any person in existence. And that's saying something because England have got some slow batsmen up there. But it's test match cricket. That's the idea. I think that um, Ollie Pope, if he's fit, will probably come back into that team. He's a guy who they've been backing for some time to succeed at test level and they'll be looking for him to be that guy at five or six to do that job. I'm guessing, again, we just don't know, do we? But you look at the fact that Joe Root refuses to bat at three, even though he's the best bat in the team at the moment and should be batting there. He wants to bat at four. Milan will probably get that number three position. And then you have Bairstow and Butler. And then you go into the bowling again. Now, the problem for England is is that they need more batting. And... At the moment, they're batting short because if you're batting Bearstow at five and Butler at six, then even though Moeen Ali is being chosen as the all-rounder, and it looks like he's being chosen more for his batting than his bowling. He's looking for a guy who can come in at number seven and hopefully score runs and then bowl a few overs and hopefully jag a couple of wickets. It's almost an Australian all-rounder. It's just a guy who's a bits and pieces guy who... He's not being picked in the team for his batting. He's not being picked in the team for his bowling. But because he can do a bit of both, he can get in that team. You know, the old Shane Watson theory. So if that's the case, they'd be better off having seven bats plus Moeen at eight and then three bowls. But they won't do that. And I'd suggest that Sam Curran will play again because I don't think that they're going to believe that Anderson can bowl Lots, they need to manage him and his injuries. Uh, And it'll leave their batting short again, which is where they're really struggling at the moment. They'd be better off, they're going to be looking at bowling those four bowlers and Joe Root maybe bowling some part-time spin. But it is essential for England to get their batting right to get back into this series. And, you know, eventually, not right now, not two months ago, which is what some people in England were doing, to look forward to the Ashes tour. So David David Milan, David Milan, however you want to pronounce his name, is a good selection in this situation to come in and be that guy who we hope, for England's sake, will come in, score some runs and be ready to come to Australia where he's already succeeded. And in that instance, another guy they could be looking at is James Vince. 
who has also succeeded somewhat in Australian conditions, generally with the white ball. He had a great season with the sixes out here, but was also good on that last Ashes tour. So maybe he's another guy they could look at if this doesn't work out for this test match. But more than anything else, England have to find a way to repel this Indian attack. They Having some good success against Indian batsmen, I mean, apart from the opening batsmen, no one's really been able to get on top of them so far, <laughs> apart from the tail. Maybe if they just didn't bowl the Australian way, bowling short of the tail, maybe that would have been different as well. England need to score runs, and I'm guessing they won't pick enough batsmen to do that, but the opportunity's there. The Australian women have had their squad picked for the upcoming series against India, and once again, it's a really strong-looking squad, so we can run through it really quickly. Meg Lanning is captain, of course, Rachel Haynes, vice-captain, Darcy Brown, Maitland Brown, who's a very exciting youngster, Stella Campbell, Nicola Carey, Hannah Darlington, Ashley Gardner, Alyssa Healy, Talia McGrath, Sophie Molyneux, Beth Mooney, Elise Perry, Georgia Redmayne, Molly Strano, Annabelle Sutherland, Taylor Vlaemic, and Georgia Wareham. Now, some of those girls have been overplaying in England in the, the 100 and have been doing well. There's two pretty big outs there for Australia. Megan Shute, Australia's opening bowler, is uh, out for maternity or paternity leave, whatever you'd like to call it. Uh, and Jess Jonathan is out injured. Now, she has a couple of other young <laughs> left-armers who don't mind bowling a little bit of left-arm spin, so she can be covered. But those are two big outs for Australia. Perhaps more to do with the test match than the white ball games. There's no shortage of pace there in that team, if you look at it. Uh, Darcy Brown, who has... Clocked at 125Ks an hour, and Taylor Vlamic, who is also clocked at 125Ks an hour. Maitland Brown, who is clocked just under that as a pace bowler. So three really good, young, exciting fast bowlers there for Australia, and hopefully they'll all get a chance in some game somewhere to showcase their wares uh, and push for further selection down the track. And like I said, Australia always well served by spin, uh, Georgia Wareham's coming on in leaps and bounds. Uh, Molly Strano does the job. Um, and Sophie Molyneux, who will probably get some very good overs now that JJ's not in that team. And Ash Gardner as well, of course. So there's lots of good stuff to look forward to. And Australia's batting will always be strong and be uh, probably just about the best in the world. So the series at the moment is set for 3-1 days one test match and three 220s, which is the same format that Australia use in their Ashes series against England. And it's a terrific concept. Um, you would probably like to see more test matches, but at the moment that's not the case. You'd also like to see the test matches go for longer than four days to find a result. There are lots and lots of draws in these test matches because everyone only gets to play one every year or every two years. Uh, so they're really trying to take every possibility of scoring as many runs as they can without throwing their wicket away. Unless you're a Healy, of course, or a, a gardener who don't mind throwing the bat a little bit. So at the moment, 
it's hard to say where these games will be played. The one day is a set down for North Sydney Oval for the first game and Junction Oval in Melbourne for the last two. Obviously, COVID at the moment is going to make that very difficult. The test match is set for the Wacker, and what a wonderful experience that'll be for all those girls from Australia and India to be able to play at the Wacker. <laughs> and they'll be hoping for a very fast pitch. That would be fantastic. And then the three T20s are all set down for North Sydney Oval at the start of October. You'd have to think at the moment that all of those matches barring the test match will get moved, and the possibility is they could play all of them in Western Australia, or they could be playing them at Karen Rolton Oval in Adelaide, or perhaps also in Queensland, depending on, on all the uh, the border closures and who's allowed to go where. But whatever happens at the moment, that series looks like going ahead. There should be no problems with it. It starts on September 19, and I think it's going to be a really terrific series. Australia will be favourites. Uh, Looking, you look at this Indian team and you see the way that they're developing and the amount of money that's now rushing into women's cricket in India, you just wonder how long it is before India start to dominate in the women's game the way they are in the men's game. And it's probably not too far down the track. So as Australians, let's enjoy this series while we can before these Indians start to run over the top of us. Thanks once again for listening to me ramble on about cricket. Um, I enjoy talking about it. I hope you like listening to it. They're all my opinions. I don't pretend to know absolutely everything about cricket. I'd like to think I do, but I understand that I don't. Uh, So please don't take any of it to heart. Just my opinions. And sometimes I'll be right and a lot of the times I'll be wrong. Except about Shane Watson. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll tune in again to the next program I come along for the casual mancatter. Got it! Yes, on oh, the thick outside edge. Tell your story, walking pal. Australia right on top of you. I love them all. I want to book them. Get them up here. You have been listening to a Metal Cavern production. <laughs>